Welcome to the perfume room. My scent of the day today, surprise, surprise, is like seven different scents because if you haven't figured it out by now, I have no self-restraint. So let's just start with the first thing I put on today, which was indeed I Don't Know What by Diaz and Durga. If you like another 13, if you like not a perfume, if you like Namat Amber, you need to go try I Don't Know What. It is in that family of just amazing, clean, easy to wear, easy to layer skin scents, but this one just has a beautiful beginning, middle, and end, which makes perfect sense as you'll hear in the interview because today's guests are David and Kavi Maltz, the creators of DS and Durga. This interview is so good. But then I also received the new discovery kit from Commodities Relaunch, and I was like, oh, I'll try like one or two of these true to myself, I got carried away and I sprayed like five different perfumes on one wrist and now I can't tell what's what and I'm wearing like every perfume in the entire collection. And you know what? I smell fucking good. My perfume juice of the day is a rant and that is on 1969's newest fragrance, Chinese Tobacco. Shout out to Oh Shoot It's Allie who DM'd me the scoop on this. I feel like Allie is um, my source of tea. If anyone listening to this would also similarly like to always send me fragrance gossip. You know, I'm always here for it. So Allie sent me this post Then I did more research and I found that Yosh Han, the creator of Scent Festival, which is a digital scent festival whose mission is to decolonize scent and highlight intersectionality in perfumery. Anyway, Scent Festival had posted about 1969's newest release, Chinese Tobacco. This fragrance, like the description of this fragrance just bothers me so much. It has since been updated, but I'm going to read you what originally was written. Again, as you know, apologize for the sirens. I live on top of a highway. I have made my bed and now I must lay in it. Yeah, I'm not even going to edit that out. Okay, here we go. This is the description that was originally posted. Chinese tobacco is inspired by the timeless masterpiece Apocalypse Now by Francis Ford Coppola. The film takes place in Vietnam in 1969. Major influences for the fragrance was the powerful scene, already grammatical issue, I mean, that's the first red flag, featuring Aurore Clement and Martin Sheen smoking opium. Eichewald. The classic line, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. That's also just a whole sentence, which, uh, you know, they're missing some, there's some grammar issues here. And also, do you guys know what line comes after I love the smell of napalm in the morning? The next line in the film is smells like victory. So essentially, this is a fragrance inspired by the Vietnam War, innocent deaths, and then they later updated it to remove, I'm putting in air quotes, the problematic part. And this is the new description. A reflection of cultural contrast while traveling across Asia, the East meets West and Old meets New in 1969's Chinese tobacco fragrance. Every spritz explores the beauty across the borders. Packed with emotions of legendary movies Apocalypse Now and Indochine, the strong ambiances mix the chaos of the city and the serenity of the park. Okay, so it's also now inspired by French imperialism. Here's the other thing. Apocalypse Now and Indochine are both movies about Vietnam. Where does Chinese tobacco come into play? So yeah, I just don't understand how in 2021, this problematic shit is still happening. It's so tone deaf. There has been so much traction in perfumery in the last year. So much of it due to Yosh and everything that she has done with Scent Festival to move from classifying fragrances with the offensive O word, which I will not use, to calling that entire family of fragrances Amber fragrances. So it's something that's on everybody's minds. And I just don't know how in 2021, the amount of people that had to like 
see this product, approve this description, approve like everything that went into it. I'm just like, nobody flagged it. It's kind of like the Kendall Jenner Pepsi thing where you're just like, wow, hundreds of people touched this and nobody said anything was wrong. Like someone has to be the naysayer. You know what I'm saying? Thanks for listening to that rant. Today's guests are absolutely wonderful. We have Kavi and David Maltz, the co-founders and creators of DS and Durga. Um, embarrassing story that we didn't keep in the podcast, but I'll just tell you because, you know, it's vulnerable. I had been told by a very trusted source that I was pronouncing DS and Durga wrong and that the G was soft and that it's DS and Durga. So in recent mentions of anything related to the brand, I was like DS and Durga and I thought I was all the wiser for saying it. Then I asked Kavi and David about this. This person also told me that David exclusively goes by Seth. Ask David about that too. They were literally just like, what? Like, who is your source? So um, yeah, I feel pretty stupid. It is DS and Durga. David does not go by his middle name, Seth. And um, besides that, we had an amazing episode. We talked about the fragrances in their line that they both personally wear, how David sources inspiration behind fragrances and the process when he creates scent, as well as the role that music, because David is a musician, that it plays in developing the scents. And one thing about Dias and Durga fragrances, if you guys have ever experienced them, is that they are so photorealistic, which is one of my favorite things about them. And David definitely touches on that. I talked to Kavi about the evolution of the Dias and Durga aesthetic, designing the storefronts. One is in Williamsburg, the other is in Nolita. We talk about how to be objective when creating a fragrance that's not necessarily for you, what pop culture is inspiring them right now and where we might see the future of Dias and Durga. And uh, you know we talk about that new Hanukkah candle. I'm not going to take one minute more of your precious time. Here are David and Kavi. Welcome to the Perfume Room. Today, we are joined by the founders of Dias and Durga, David and Kavi Maltz. Hello. It is such a joy to have you guys on the pod. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having us. So as you guys know, I always start the podcast with the three following questions. What are you currently wearing? Would you say you have a signature fragrance? And if so, what? And uh, do you have any fragrance controversial takes? I'm wearing the, the thing that we're coming out with next spring, um, just because I was just finalizing it today. It's a very fresh, savory perfume water. Mm, interesting. I am not wearing anything, and this will probably come up a few times during our, our talk. I've lost my sense of smell. Oh, no. It's a little weird and embarrassing, considering. Um, uh, haven't had it for like a year now. And uh, I think it's slowly coming back. I have like kind of like these weird smell auras happening in the past mm-hmm. few months where I'm smelling something um, that is not around. I smell it myself. It's really interesting because it's just like something that kind of follows me throughout my day. And usually it's like a really pleasant smell, but it's not something that's actually in the air. Um, so anyway, I don't really wear perfume these days because I can hardly smell things unless I wow. like really just like shove my nose up to it. Like, and it's really strong. Not wearing anything right now. My signature scent though is Durga by DS and Durga for obvious reasons. And the last question was, uh, do you guys have any fragrance controversial takes? Oh, sure. David, I'm, I'm sure. Well, does. I would say, yeah, I think people like might view, I, I I'm not so into like controversy for sure. I feel like very respectful of like the perfume world and like what came before me. And a lot of, I think like a lot of times the brands that talk about how disruptive they are, it's like, they're just Mm -hmm. like looking for a, uh, 
like a something that sounds like cool, but like I, I don't I don't feel like we're disruptors. I feel like we're trying to respect and honor what came before us, even though we have a completely unique viewpoint, you know. But I don't want to tear yeah. anything down. So I don't feel too controversial. The other question was uh, oh, do you have signature sin. Oh, I mean, I, 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 I just have to wear things all the time that I'm like working on, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I love to like, when we're going to go out like super fancy, I like to wear St. Betty Bear or Amber Teutonic. I like to wear raw patchouli oil with our, I don't know what layered over it. Oh, I and love I that. I have a collection of like really rare oods too, that I'll do the same thing with. That are just in your personal collection? Yeah. I'm not like a signature thing. Cause like, to me, it's about having the wardrobe. Right. So like I have mm -hmm. so much and I can make anything that I want. And that's part and parcel of like the philosophy of like why, or, the, or just why we started, you know, like making things we love. And so if it's a certain day and it's super cold and crisp snow, I might want to wear like our newest one, grapefruit generation, but like, mm -hmm. you know, maybe I'll want to wear like a dry woodsy sense, like when the leaves are falling. Mm -hmm. it, it could be anything. I, I don't, I don't want like one thing to represent me. It's just like, I wouldn't wear one coat the whole year. That right. kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was a sort of something I wanted to talk about. Like how do you source or the fragrances you create and are you creating fragrances for yourselves or are you thinking of specific consumers or demos when you create? I drew a Venn diagram for Kavi yesterday. It is mm -hmm. what we like, what we think the consumer like and what is really good perfume, which to me is like, clarity of vision, uh, you know, realistic scent recreation. Like if it's called burning barbershop, it better smell like a burnt down barbershop. So mm -hmm. those three things right in the middle would be like a DS and Durga fragrance. Like there are things that are not the style of thing that I want to wear that I come out with because I think we need it in our line mm -hmm. and, and, and vice versa. You know, I, there's, I always say this in interviews that like people ask that I think there's like two kinds of artists. There's the one that says like, I make whatever I want. I don't care what people think. And then there's the other one that's like, oh, I make all this stuff, but like, I, I want people to like it. And I think I'm number two. So to me, I want to have the best fragrance line, you know, and just try to make it like keep building until it's like everything you could have in like a fragrance world. So you were talking about burning barbershop. When you say you want it to smell as realistic as possible, like how do you work backwards? Do you envision the smell of a of burning barbershop and then try and like break down what those notes would be? I go backwards and forwards. I have a list of names and ideas, and then mm -hmm. sometimes I'll work on things and they will fit into those uh, categories. Mm -hmm. I would say, yeah, generally it's that I have the idea and I'm going to make it. Meaning I have the idea, probably not like the done name, but the idea that, oh, this is going to be about, you know, ancient Chinese poetry and its influence on like uh, 1960s, like crazy avant-garde stuff. And I might start making something about that. And it became Grapefruit Generation. Whereas like this new one, I made mm -hmm. the thing. I was like, this smells so good. Like what, what can it be about? Like, and I started to think of like ideas that, that helped frame what was going on in the perfume. So it works either way for me. Interesting. Do you guys ever go to a place that has a really fragrant smell that you enjoy and just try and like break down what you're smelling? Like how, I guess- Every I'm single place I go, that like doesn't have to be interesting. Like I am keeping a catalog in my mind and notes of every single thing that I've like come across so that later on I can remember how to like what a, um, a chestnut flower might have smelled like because it, right. they don't they don't have much smell but like I'll every time they bloom like at some point you'll smell something at some point of the day so I'll you know so mm -hmm. I I really just try to be on top of everything that we smell wherever we go. And Kavi, you were talking about having lost your sense of smell, which 
for your business is very sad. Have you done any um, smell training? Like what, what's the process or the road to recovery there? Yeah. So David is uh, trying to retrain my nose. So that involves, um, he takes like different vials of like kind of strong smelling. Uh, he, he takes like eucalyptus, lemon, rose, patchouli, um, cedar. Hmm? Clove. Clove. Mm. And, you know, puts the, puts them in little vials and um, tells me to not blind smell them, but to actually like know what I'm smelling, like inhale it for like a full minute or two minutes mm-hmm. and like just like think about what I'm smelling and try to like reconnect the the memory of it. Cause I, I remember what things smell like. It's right. not like I've never smelled. Like I, I know what clove smells like. Right. So I'm just sort of trying to like reconnect these synapses or, you know, there's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a common thing. I mean, obviously it means I, I don't know. I must have had COVID, but didn't know it like maybe very early on. Yeah. So, um, but most people have like gotten their sense of smell back after mm-hmm. weeks or months and, I, like I said, I think mine is coming back. So yeah, kind of retraining things. I should be better about putting putting more time into it. Um, but David is desperately, he's doing his part by by putting all the materials out and like kind of, you know, encouraging me to, to retrain things. But um, it's just like a, an issue of reconnecting the synapses. Yeah, no, I mean, I've heard when people have lost their sense of smell, presumably to COVID, that you can start by like detecting like sweet versus spicy versus sour. Like you can you can recognize different like overall categories. I don't know. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard that too, and I, I would I would say that's true. I would say that's true. I mean, it's not like my sen- sense of smell is completely gone, and I, I can smell if something is like generally sweet or something. You smelled Tuberos Murder. I did. I did. Oh, you could smell um, that one. I, I yeah, I can smell a couple different things. I can smell like spray paint that I'm using. I mean, I can smell some like strong. That's the things. fumes though. That's that's like yeah. that's like eucalyptus where you're smelling like the reaction of like your. It's like your, your eyes water or something, yeah. and you know that you're smelling something. Yeah. But you sort of make that connection, like you know, because mm-hmm. like that feeling of um, you know, just like kind of like toxic fume, kind of like yeah, evokes evokes the paint smell. Our brother-in-law is an esmeotic. Like he he was born with it. He he can't smell anything. Um, but just menthol will like do what you're saying. But he he hasn't been able to smell things his whole life. Wow, so sad. Yeah, it is Very sad. sad. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm rooting for you. And I I had a smell trainer on the podcast, and um, she was talking about how she's helped lots of clients regain her smell. So there's oh hope. my god, yeah, dude, get in touch, Kava. Do that. Yeah, I'm happy to. I've got, I've got you. There yeah, you go. but someone who you're not married to probably be able to like make it maybe happen more. Maybe if I'm paying someone, then I will, you know, take it more seriously. It's true. Yeah. Whenever there's <laughs> money behind it, you're like, all right, I gotta, mm-hmm. I gotta show mm-hmm. up. I gotta, I gotta do, do the it. thing. Um, you, mm-hmm. So you're talking about like even if you wouldn't want to smell like burning barbershop, it's still a scent that you're interested in. Do you guys have any fragrances in your in your library that are ones that you wouldn't personally wear, but are you know massive hits with consumers, or do you feel like you like all of the fragrances personally or would wear all of them personally, I guess. So yeah, those are two different things. I definitely think that they're all great. They're all, they're all the ones that were the best version that, you know, so my style is I will make something until I get it perfect. And then I will try to beat that for like, you know, maybe even half a year, maybe two weeks, however long it is, I'll keep trying to get it, get it better. Mm-hmm. It's even, I'll, I'll give an example. We, before we have a son and his name is Krishna. And before he was born, we were like, oh, we're probably going to name our kid Krishna, like mm-hmm. like probably like eight months. But you, you, you don't say that, especially in Jewish or Hindu um, religion. You, you don't really talk about like the baby as a real entity before it's born, you know, like it's bad luck or whatever. 
but we always just figured it would be like Krishna. Right. And I think my sister would even like call him that a little bit. And then we were like frantically like thinking of names and stuff and like had a list of names. And then he's born and we're like trying to figure out what to call him. And uh, the cord blood registry, like we had to write his name down like for what it was. And I was like, yeah. And we were like, we're gonna name him Safa. And like, I, we even written that, rewrote that down stuff. And, and just like within 24 hours, we're like, dude, his name's Krishna. Like that's, right. that's what it is. We knew it, you know? Like, yeah. and so, so I find that my artistic style for sure is I'm always trying to make it better, but there does come a point that I won't generally know it right then and there, but after going back, I'll just be like, oh yeah, that's probably the one, you know? Right. Um, and so that's a long way of saying that I like them all because they all won out against it. They're not all the personal things that I would personally want to wear all the time. I'm trying to think of something that like is really not my, I don't know. I'm not like dying to wear Jasmine Yucatan, which I think is one of our, is our second best-selling perfume this year. I, I love Jasmine Yucatan. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. I really, I, it's based on a Jasmine plant I own and Jasmine Yucateco that we, it, I love the whole experience. It's great. I'm psyched to be like, this is our Jasmine perfume. Yeah. I just, I don't think I reach for it all the time. I like really old fashioned, like powdery, like grandma stuff, grandpa stuff, you know, mm -hmm. but that's just me. I still love them all. Right. I also noticed too the evolution of your packaging and your design. Kavi, at what point did you guys make the new bottle shape and how have you, you know, figured out the fonts that you guys want to go with? Um, I mean, the, the, the way the packaging looks now, like it, it became that way maybe like five or six years ago. Mm -hmm. And it was really, it was really like financial. I mean, in the beginning, well, first of all, when we started, we didn't really you know, have a plan. We didn't, we didn't know what this was going to turn into. We definitely didn't think it was going to be like a brand the way it is now. We just sort of started DS and Durga very casually and, um, more of a, like a project than a company or a brand. I mean, we kind of thought brand was like a, a bad word or something. We just thought it sounded like just like really capitalist and like, didn't, you know, mm -hmm. didn't even know what to do with it. So we were just making things, um, creating things and, when when we started and we were like trying to figure out how to like package a perfume product, you know, much less make it when we were finding bottles and they would say like, oh, you you can buy this bottle. You have to buy a hundred of them. Even that at the moment was like, oh, a hundred. Like, how will we sell a hundred bottles? Because mm -hmm. things were just so much smaller then. So it was really just like, what could we find? What could we afford? Who would sell us like a few bottles? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, as as things grew and we had the chance to really envision cohesively what we wanted it to look like, mm -hmm. um, what the branding would be like, what the aesthetic would be like. This just seemed kind of like we wanted something that was beautiful, timeless, minimal, something that would let the juice inside shine through, which are kind of hallmarks of like niche fragrance in general, where you don't want to distract with the packaging too much and you really want it to be about what's inside the bottle. Mm -hmm. So that, that just kind of played a, a factor into it. And then the packaging, like the, the box and the typeface are just kind of like, seemed like kind of just obvious choices according to like our modernist tendencies mm -hmm. in terms of aesthetics. Yeah, Kavi was an architect, right? So that's like really, I think that's important for like seeing the the influence of like brutalism, modernism, right. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, even in your yeah. in your flagship store, it's very like concrete, minimalist, oh, yeah, modern. Totally. Like, do you did you design the uh, storefront? Yeah, I designed it with um an, an old high school friend of mine, um, Krista of K and Co Architecture Firm, um, who 
you know, kind of worked with us to execute the whole thing. And she did a beautiful job. And it's a uh, yeah, it's very much inspired by brutalism, Corbusier, it's just some, uh, you know, kind of architectural hallmarks mm-hmm. that I still wanted to carry out into this next phase of career that I had. Right. And are, are you still practicing architecture at all? Or it's fully Dias and Durga now? No, it's fully Dias and Durga has been since since, like, really soon after we started. Um, so we, we started, like I said, just kind of casually. And then, you know, a little while after we got this opportunity that gave us just like one big paycheck and allowed us both to quit our quote unquote day jobs. Mm-hmm. And so we did. And um, I left my job in architecture in 2009, like in the recession. Mm-hmm. And everyone, there were a bunch of empty desks around me because people were being laid off uh, left and right. Yeah. And when I told my boss I was quitting, he was like, are you crazy? Right. Like you're quitting right now. And like people are like desperate for a job right now. But um, I don't know, we were younger and a little more reckless. And it seemed like a really fun opportunity. We were also, we had also just met and were like in love and just like, it just seemed like the right moment to just sort of like do this fun adventure together. I mean, it's funny because my my boyfriend is an architect and when I told him I was having you guys on the podcast and how you're a husband and wife duo, he's like, we we should do, I I could create bottles. Like, I'm like, I don't, how has it been being in business together? Like, what is, how do you guys navigate? um, Have you ever tried doing the other person's role and and what is that like? Very early on, very early on, David, um, (laughs) before I... I was interested very early on. I mean, who wouldn't be interested in like mixing up oils and like making stuff smell good? Right. Like there was probably a couple of weeks very early on where I would like mess around and mix things up and make a total like mess, a disa- like disastrous bad smells. So maybe like a couple of weeks, but no, not really. Yeah. We, we, we really do. We, we quickly figured out to kind of like stay in our lanes. And um, I think we have a lot of, respect for the other's expertise Mm -hmm. and uh you know I like to get David's input on things and he likes on on, I like to get his input on visual things and he gets likes to get used to like to get my input um smelling things before things all went south I do all the words and so that's really important that um Kavi is my good like bullshit detector so like I can really go down rabbit holes that are like strange and nerdy and she'll be like dude this is like just too nerdy yeah and so i can I, I can like pull back on that and so yeah it's look no one no one listens to keith richards and uh mick jagger's solo albums you know it's all about like what they do together right i think we know that we know that but we have like definitely different spheres like i'm not i'm psyched believe me both of us are psyched when we don't have to comment or even be i don't need to be on the email chain about some design decision about the store mm-hmm. it's all you you know mm-hmm what are you smelling right now? Yeah. Uh, it's a bunch of candles that I just got uh, that I sent that I sent the formula off to the lab like this week for an un- well these are for two collaborations with two different brands um, and it's the first this th- this one's not the first these are this is pretty good it's supposed to be like a very Japanese kind of 1970s vibe mm-hmm. uh, like Hinoki and violets and stuff mm. uh, and then the other ones. Other ones are for this other brand. Let's see what happens. 
How do you differentiate, you know, when you're creating a home care, like a candle or an air freshener versus a personal fragrance? What's like, what are the different qualities? It's very different because like to me, I don't want to wear on the body what goes uh, into like the candle. Mm -hmm. But I think the candle is great for like hand wash, hand soap, uh, lotion, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, that's how we do it in our line. First of all, like perfume is a pyramid, you know, Mm -hmm. and at the top of that pyramid is lack of function and at the bottom is function. So the bottom like has to perform and the top is just art. And um, so perfume, you put in whatever you want in order to say what you're trying to say. Mm-hmm. And I think I think candles like just below that, like there is a functionality in that it has to burn correctly. I guess you could say like with perfume, like if you made a perfume that smelled so awesome and was artistically sound, but very cloudy, or, you know, people might, it might bother people. Like if you put a bunch of like juniper in it or something that doesn't, isn't very good with solubility candle has to like burn. So you can't just put whatever you want in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's also the cost actually is really important too, because the perceived cost of a eau de parfum is, you know, basically limitless. Like you could just you know make some crazy thing that costs so much money because oud and orris root, you're not going to put that stuff into a candle mm-hmm. uh, because a candle takes so much more oil and the perceived value is so much lower, you know, so mm-hmm. that that's there's a disconnect there. Um, I also think a candle oft can be less complex because perfume is very symphonic in nature, like just as far as what's evaporating in time Mm -hmm. and how it smells 10 minutes later is different. And I still do that within candles. Like, you know, the more you burn it, it cooks, but you know, you're lighting it on fucking fire. So it's like, like make the chemical reactions that are happening are insane, you know? Mm -hmm. What's the, what's the training then to learn that side of perfumery of like the science behind having a fragrance that lasts or burns, you know, in the right way? I'm all self-taught, but, um, you could say trial and error and just gleaning information from places. Um, I'm certainly not an applications perfumer, but I understand what will work more in certain, in certain, uh, formats. Cause it's, Candles like can be tricky, but like, you know, trickier thing is like if you're making your perfume, but into like a body lotion, right. you know, or into like a shower product and there's different regulatory things. Mm-hmm. So you, you do have to work with a company. I mean, generally though, no one's helping me change, change it down. I don't know. You just, you just figured out, I mean, certain things, you know, like just changing the, the solvent, you know, mm-hmm. like whether it's alcohol or IPM or DPG, the, those kinds of things really work for certain applications you know certain ones don't burn well certain ones are not soluble mm-hmm. yeah that's a little bit above my head but sound it all sounds legit and i yeah it's that that's easier in a way than like the like the science behind perfume you know right right you were talking about the cost of candles and you know sourcing oud or orris root how do you find, like, where do you source your ingredients from? Because I know Dia Sandurga really prides itself on the, the quality. Yeah, I mean, everyone says they have the best quality. I feel like quality is another thing that you'd say, like, from a board meeting, because, mm-hmm. like, oh, what are we going to talk about? We have the most the most premium ingredients in the yeah. world. Like, It's authentic. So, sometimes, yeah. yeah, sometimes, yeah. like, the like the crappy, like, Russian rose absolute actually has, like, this dirty note that's great, right, you know? Like, right, So. Um, so to me, quality is, is beside the point in that regards, but we, it started off that I would just hand make everything. Okay. And then, and then I had it made by 
like a family company in the Bronx that would would make it for me. But then it doesn't make sense for a lot of reasons. So I started working with fragrance houses. So like I work mostly with Fermination mm -hmm. Robert A. And so I use their ingredients, okay. you know, and they have a very specific set of what they have. So you have to like learn that over the course of like five, 10 years, which is, you know, understanding like what they have and do not have. Mm -hmm. And if you try, if you have to recreate something that they, that they don't have that you wish they did, mm -hmm. you know, which happens to me all the time, less and less as I learn the cost book or as I learned the, uh, ingredients more, you know, mm -hmm. would you say that there's like a, a palette that, that people will find in every, you know, as the base of every Dias and Durga fragrance or notes that are always caught mm. or are there any notes also that we will never find in a Dias and Durga fragrance? Like you just hate them. Almost nothing do I hate. Um, I mean, I'm not into like sugary, fruity florals, mm -hmm. um, but like I still use the molecules that go into those for certain things. That's more about a combination of things mm -hmm. than an actual material. There's not like one single note that I despise that doesn't have a use because they're so useful. I think it's true. I think I used to think it was pretentious when older perfumers would say like they, they only use a hundred ingredients. Um, but I understand where they're coming from more and more as you get older. It's just the truth is like, it is, you know, molecularly distilled patchouli versus and patchouli. Those are two different notes, not just patchouli. But if you're just calling it patchouli, fine. You know, um, I definitely feel more comfortable like with certain materials as I go along. But I'm just the nature. I'm very interested by everything. So I anything new, I always want to check out. Our fragrance that's coming out uh, in the spring that I'm wearing on my arm has something a material that's like was just invented by Fermanish, you know, mm -hmm. that smells like green pepper, you know. Ooh. Oh, I'm very... Like bell pepper, yeah. not, not like bell pepper. That's yeah. that's fresh and fun. I'm excited to try that. Yeah, I feel yeah. like you guys are really just going in, in the into the direction of fragrances that no one has gone before. And one of the things I saw that you just released, which um, as a fellow member of the tribe made me very happy, was your Hanukkah, was oh, yeah. your Hanukkah candle because everybody knows what Christmas smells like. What the hell does Hanukkah smell like? Not just that, like the whole, the, the, the holiday is lighting candles. Like how has no one ever made like a candle about it? I don't, I don't understand. Why are Christmas lights for Christmas when Hanukkah is the festival of lights? This, these are things that keep me up at night. I mean, what, I, you know, Yeah. so, so what is, I mean, I did look up the notes, but what can, um, what can we expect to smell? Yeah. So what it is, is it's like a meditation on like the purest olive oil. So basically wow. 2000 years ago, you know, the, the temple in Jerusalem, second temple had been, well, the first temple had been destroyed and the Maccabees came in and they found it disheveled and there was no oil to light the perpetual lamp, except for then they looked on the ground and found one vial with the rabbi's seal on it. So it had not been contaminated. You guys are getting a so history the, lesson on Hanukkah. This is, this is exactly what I yeah, wanted. Yeah. You know, this is, this story is very foggy yeah. to most people anyway. Like, you yeah. know, like. Did you see the Rugrats it's, it's special not, that explains it pretty well? Oh no. <laughs> Actually the playlist for this has the second song on it is like a very like nerdy, like folk song explaining the story of Hanukkah. Oh, gotta check it out. Yeah, it's cool. It also starts with like Dicktail Hamanagila, which is badass. <laughs> so they found this oil, you know, and it was just this pristine olive oil. They put it in, light it, and it's enough to last a day. But of course it lasted eight days and eight days is how long it takes for them to make another batch of the sacred olive mm -hmm. oil. So I thought, what is this like sacred olive oil smell like beautiful verdant green and like citron. Oh, I love it. And like, um, just like an umami essence of like oily freshness and a little bit of temple incense. 
uh, cedar of Lebanon, that, that kind of stuff. So it's pretty rad. Our daughter says next time we have to make actual Hanukkah candles. I know. I've always wanted awesome. to do that. Yeah, just like the ones that you put in the menorah. Wow, like a scented menorah. Maybe that's like the... You know, this is the mod. Don't give away our ideas, mm-hmm. Cos. I know, podcast. I know, right? And maybe, maybe each, maybe each day smells different. Yeah, I promise I okay. will not be making a, a scented menorah. But um, if you guys do, I'll be the first to buy it. That would be that would be yeah. amazing. Yeah, I I think that's. I love that you're pairing the scent with the smell of Hanukkah because I just haven't seen anyone do it. And you also just came out with that other candle um, that's supposed to be inspired by breakfast and pastries. Right. Okay. You remind me of the. Not too many pastries. Yeah. The pastry one is it's... breakfast leapsig. This is I'm obsessed with breakfast. Okay. This is our second in our breakfast series. This is breakfast Highlands, which is about like three epic breakfasts I had in the Scottish Highlands, okay. and so it really honestly t- smells like oats and rolling heather hills oh, and honey, uh, heather honey and toast and biscuits and Scotch whiskey orange marmalade. And so we're talking about symphony. Mm-hmm. It just keeps like going. There's like a smoked things note in wow. there as well. So that all of these things together. And I think it's probably the best thing I've ever made. Okay. So I actually, someone recently asked what was the best place I ever smelled that I think a scent should be created from. And there's this whiskey and bourbon distillery in upstate New York near Hudson. And I took a tour of the distillery and they have this room where they basically like roast barley and sift it. And in my mind, I was like, this needs to be like, that sounds exactly Mm -hmm. like what you're describing. Mm -hmm. Like this sort Mm -hmm. of like Mm -hmm. weedy, toasty, smoky. It's pretty toasty. Mm -hmm. If you go to our, if you smell our um, Johnny Walker blue candle, Mm -hmm. that really, because I went to Scotland to the distilleries and smelled those things. And I have like pieces of things I brought back and everything. And it smells really like a realistic glass of whiskey, barrel of whiskey, and like the ocean air near it and the angel share. So mm-hmm. there's there's definitely that like barley kind of thing, but that oat note is much more predominant in the Breakfast Highlands. Wow, this is, this is meant to be like the in the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, right, David? Yeah, I like just the, that's um, my favorite thing. Like the, the tomato the, soup, the gum, it's like tomato soup, and it's the best roast chicken dinner I've ever had. And then she turns into a blueberry. I right. love the idea of like there's like a whole meal in a candle. I love that. Yeah. So, and do you feel like there's like an evolution as you burn it? It's super symphonic and you'll just keep smelling. It's very narcotic. There's like so much going on in it. Wow. I can't wait to, I'm so excited. to. I, I haven't always been into candles, but I've recently gotten more into it because I'm like, if I care about body fragrance, I should care about home care. And I know which two candles are next on my list for sure. It's. I, I generally do not burn candles at our house. I, 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 yeah. I burn like traditional Tibetan incense. Yeah. yeah. But I, I work with them all day, so I don't want to smell that at my house. I don't want to smell right, this lab. Right. At my house, so right, I, right. I, I need some separation. Incense. Yeah, but candles are more of like an ambiance move anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, like when you're like taking a bath, like the flame. Right. It's a, it's a even though I can't smell that much right now, like I still like light the candle to like. It sets set a mood. This. Yeah. Yeah. For I sure. agree with that. I agree. Candle light is really nice. We should mm-hmm. get some non-scented candles. There you go. I feel like that would be so off-brand, David. <laughs> no, but like I, I love Tibet incense. We I have we have the best Tibet incense in the world. We started selling it. It's incredible. It's like gathered by this one guy in like Glacier National Park in the in Nepal Tibet border, and mm-hmm. like he makes it to the ancient formulas. I mean, a lot of them make it to the ancient formulas mm-hmm. uh, that are in their texts, but it used like 
really wild forage. No, and I, I love incense, but sometimes there's, it's a little bit too much. I guess maybe like growing up in like an uh, an Indian household where mm -hmm. like incense was like a, a ritualistic thing as well. I mean, that can be nice, but it can also be like just a little heavy handed, mm -hmm. which whereas a candle just feels a little bit, uh, a little more like just like agnostic and just just about a mood. I, I hear that. I, I actually just mean in terms of fragrance, because even Indian incense to me has the same thing with candles. Once you, when you're smelling like burning fragrance oils, it's different than mm. your smart, like mm -hmm. the Tibetan incense. They take the plants, they grind them into a powder, they apply water and like charcoal, and then they reform it into a stick. So you're burning the plants. You're not smelling fragrance oils. The burnt, yeah. yeah I don't yeah. want to smell fragrance oils. I hope you guys are loving the episode. Let's do today's Perfume 101. Today's Perfume 101 is on the floral family because floral is such a broad, encompassing thing. Think about all the flowers that exist. And I was trying to figure out like how I could differentiate the different types of florals you smell in perfumery to you guys. And one source I found incredibly helpful was Sylvain Delacorte's differentiation. Sylvain breaks the categories into solar florals, which are often called, you know, like tropical florals, white florals, spring florals, and spicy florals. So I'm just going to go through how Sylvain has broken them up. So let's start with solar florals. Again, those are going to be smells that maybe make you think of vacation, usually because they evoke some sort of tropical smell. The tiare flower, frangipani, langylang, those are solar florals. They make you think of sunshine. White florals would be jasmine, magnolia, gardenia, tuberose. Spring florals are ones that are a little bit like more strong, a little bit more potent, sort of breathy, sometimes described as dirty. And they consist of flowers like honeysuckle, lilac, lily of the valley. Someone once described those types of florals to me as cleavage. And it's stuck with me ever since. I feel like Spring florals, I think of Christina Hendricks. An example of a spicy floral would be like the carnation. And then the other group that I just realized I forgot would be powdery florals. And that would be your irises, your violets, heliotropes. And don't even get me started on Rose because I'm putting her in her own category. Is there a fragrance in your guys' line that you feel is the most transportive of like, this smells exactly like this place oh, or time? That's Realistic scent recreation is like what we do. I mean, right, right. Not, that's 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 what they all are. I mean, I think people think obviously like how, you know concrete after lightning smells just like that. People always say burning barbershop, like where the names really tell you exactly what they are. Whereas yeah. Bowmakers does smell like a Bowmakers shop, mm -hmm. but it, there's a whole story mm -hmm. attached to it, and it's called Bowmakers. It's not called Bowmakers shop. So I think it's mm -hmm. more that. But realistic scent cre recreation is is my thing. I think Rose Atlantic too. It's very like kind of site specific, very kind of like watery beachside. And we we get a lot of comments about how that really brings people back to kind of like the New England coast. Radio Bombay. Radio Bombay, yeah. for sure. I mean, I think- But that one's not even think. trying to smell like Bombay. It's like the specific, like it's a radio made of sandalwood mm. in the back of like a shop that has like sandalwood everywhere. You know? We used to make this scent called My Indian Childhood that um, we don't make anymore, but people- would still ask to bring it back mm -hmm. um, and would say it actually smells like my Indian childhood. Mm. Um, I think people are particularly drawn to those kind of personal. Right. You but know. Most of them are that like portable fireplace, 85 diesel smells like the inside of the bends. Uh, I'm just like thinking of the one tomb of the Eagles smells like the ocean right by the tomb of the Eagles in Scotland. Mm -hmm. the, the one I said. Yeah. Before. Yeah. Like, There's that's a my thing. specificity like, in most of our sense that mm -hmm. I think apply like that applies to. 
So you you make sense that obviously are grounded in reality and and smell as close to the place or or you know time as possible. But then you also have this whole music component. I discovered the Dias and Durga Spotify account, and it makes me like I feel like it just like elevates my street cred a little bit because you guys have really great taste in music, and I feel like mine's a little basic. So I'll like play a song in the apartment, and my boyfriend will be like, "How do you know this DJ?" And I'm like. It's just, um, yeah, like I literally, <laughs> I'm just like, I love the, it's like very esoteric and very, it, it elevates my, my credibility for sure. How do you guys develop those playlists? Do, do you ever create a scent after the playlist or is it always after the fragrance? It's part and parcel of the whole thing. Like we have a 360 approach where everything inside the bottle has like, there's the juice, there's the description, there's my like liner notes about it. There's like every little visual thing that could be associated with it. There's copies like graphic and like graphic world that goes with it, especially like the candles and there's playlists, you know, and there's uh, films and photos and stuff too, for some of them. So definitely photos for all of them. So it's, it's part of it. I mean, I would say the playlist is probably like my favorite part of the whole business. Cause it, I'm a musician and like, I just am a synesthete. So I hear like mm-hmm. everything, like I can, I think I could make a sound into a fragrance, into a color and that kind right. of whole thing. Right, right. And so I think that, um, and you know, sometimes they have to veer, uh, when there's overlap of fragrance, I have to decide like, though Amber Teutonic is about Gustav Mahler, like up in the highlands uh, of, sorry, up in the Alps, like looking down into the enchanted forest and pulling up all this rich uh, mythical history and intertwining it and and making like, remaking legends in classical music mm-hmm. i wasn't going to do like an all Mahler playlist because like <laughs> people probably aren't going to want to hear that so right. i did like a, a complete krautrock playlist that's all like you know german influenced stuff and it ends with Mahler, but that is just like i'll take a, a a vibe of it you know to expand the world it doesn't always have to be exactly it whereas like rose atlantic is most every song that i want to hear driving around in the summer of new england you know right what instruments did you play I play guitar, I sing, I can play other things, but those are like my two main things. But I'm, I'm like always, every year or two, get like re-sucked into being like, oh, I should, I'm a musician at heart and I need to like make an album. And so I have a bunch of music projects. I have a surf band. I have a band called Hiko Men that has albums on Spotify. Cool. So I'm always, always doing that kind of stuff. That's awesome. And more personally, I wanted to bring this up earlier and I completely forgot. How did you guys meet? Um, we met on the street, like, uh, I guess in times when people still did that. I don't know. Maybe it still happens. We met on the street, like outside of a bar, just kind of like very old fashioned, like pickup situation. Love it. Mm -hmm. Wow. You were in Brooklyn at the time? We met in Manhattan. We met on like Avenue B and third street, fourth street outside of a bar. David was outside of one bar. I was outside of a bar, like a couple doors down. And he just came over to me and started talking and he asked me, if I was Gujarati, which is like a type of like uh, an area of India. And I think he was like trying to like tell me that he was into India mm-hmm. or something. And we just started talking about like all sorts of things very quickly. I don't know. We just gelled very quickly. And um, we went out like on a date that night and that was it. Wow. I love that. Yeah. Very old fashioned. When you know, you know. Yeah. And then we like a couple months later, we were so that was like in the summer and a couple months later, we were, you know, wanting to make some like holiday gifts for friends. And that's how DS and Durga uh, just kind of got conceived where we started making some kind of like scented 
tonics, mm-hmm. like David wanted to create like something like a bay rum that would like actually last like a classic aftershave tonic. And then he wanted to like kind of recreate that to like make it last. Mm-hmm. So we kind of were just fiddling around with different oils and like some high proof vodka as like an alcohol base mm-hmm. and just like messing around and gave a few gifts to our friends. And they were like, oh, this this is pretty good. And then that's that's really how it started. We were like, oh, really? Let's, let's do something with it. Were there ever any fragrances that you guys um, made early on that you were just like, we would never make this today? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I, you have to understand, like, we started our business when we, I didn't really under, didn't know how to make perfume, like, that much, you know? Mm-hmm. Just started, like, making stuff. And, like, I learned as I went, and my skill level grew as I, as I grew and be, being able to, like, recreate realistic things you know like picking apart everything you know in the world like what a certain plant or rock smells like Mm -hmm. and then smelling every material and figuring out like how how i could use them to recreate those things you know that was like took 10 years but we had we had the business because we we the first thing i ever made was like december of 2007 and we were selling stuff in a store in february of 2008 that's amazing yeah. It was a different, like, it was a very different It was like DIY, Brooklyn, like, just do it right. and do it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, having a brand did not, it was nothing, nothing like today. Like, it was just, like, you could make something, and then if you knew a friend who had a store, they would sell it. And that's very right. much how it was. I think you could still do it like that in some ways because of social media, like, get the word out faster. Mm-hmm. I think just people are... It's a crowded market. There's just like a lot going. Yeah, on. there, yeah. there, there was not nearly the saturation then that there is now in in everything beauty in, in any mm-hmm. of it. I mean, it was just a completely different world. Mm-hmm. Like when we started, we were one of very few, if any, Brooklyn, you know, or just kind of like self-made perfume companies. Right. Like it, it just wasn't even a right. thing. Well, you've paved the way for so many. Yeah, everywhere. there's so many self-taught um, perfumers popping up, but. You guys are the OG, the ones, and and you've really had amazing success. And not to sound um, markety, because I don't ever want to sound like that, but is there something that you guys would say is like the white space in the industry right now? Um, we're not always like looking at the industry, like we do what we do, and then we're not like always trying to yeah. be in, like, not, I don't feel like as influenced by what's going on in perfume as right. I do like mu- music or poetry or movies right. or that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean, as much as, you know, like David said, we, we're not aiming to be like disruptive right. or like we're not coming in claiming to like, uh, you know, just be doing something so, so crazy, so unusual. We do come from outside the industry. Like, I mean, David was a musician. I was an mm-hmm. architect. We come from a very, I guess, like non, non-business, non um we do love the industry, though. I'm trying to think of. We do. No, no, like, no. Yeah. Totally, like, and totally we like love talking it. to people from it. And like, and like, I think we are like interested in sort of the trends like you you said it, we, you know uh like women's wear daily and like they- oh i'm so i'm so interested i've become like it's just become like such a like hobby i like listen to like you yeah like like podcasts yeah. like this like i love this kind of stuff now i mean once you're you know there's a there's a time where it just becomes relevant and really interesting because it's relevant but we still like our inspiration still comes completely from outside mm-hmm. and we it's never we're never really looking to like fill like a, a market like gap right. anywhere. I, I don't, I can't picture that happening for I'll, us. I'll say this, this is important. Like, like I have three ideas that are white space that have never happened mm-hmm. in perfume and like mm-hmm. we're gonna do them and and then then we'll talk about it. You know, like I would never share it before it comes out. Mm-hmm. However, I will say that- Scent like, related, yeah. non-perfume scent related. Things, yes. Yeah. But I think that there, 
the major problem. Okay, I really feel passionate about pushing perfume more towards the arts, which is happening, and more towards the masses, where people will understand how to talk about a fragrance much like they can with like food now, mm -hmm. like you know, food shows and like you know, yeah. my dad didn't know who like uh, Thomas Keller was, mm -hmm. you know, and now everyone knows who Thomas Keller is. Like it just that thing has become in their day, music was the dominant thing. Now, like for our generation, it was like food, mm -hmm. you know. I'm not saying perfume is going to be that big, like like food in that regards, but I do think that the main problem with getting those perfume towards those two places is that most perfumes are made by the same like 200 to 500 people in the world right. and that the brands are not the perfumers so that if you're if you're talking to someone if they're talking about their newest launch they didn't know they didn't make it they don't know how to make it they don't really know everything that's in mm -hmm. it and they don't understand like the artistry of why it's so crazy that they were able to do this that and the other mm -hmm. because it's like a it's a language that isn't in english it's in like your nose right. and you know we're doing we're doing we're trying to explain it more and more to people and that's what you'll see the stories and the liner notes and the notes on the back i'm trying to explain more what's going on to be as transparent as possible about at least what i was trying to do mm -hmm. or say with with the perfume but there's a major disconnect when you're when the perfumer isn't at the helm of what's going on right. in a perfume brand you know there are singers who don't write a lot of their songs like pop singers and it just will like live on this level because like they are singing someone else's like lyrics or ideas or something. But as they get bigger, they want to write their own things and it becomes more collaborative. And, and I just think that the disconnect between the artist, you know, if, if you have an idea, oh, I want this to smell like the ship my grandfather came over on, you know, the perfumer never knew your grandfather and never knew like, it, it, there's such a disconnect. And, and so then the scent comes back from the brief and it has like vanilla and like guava in it. And you're like, oh, well, why would my like Russian grandpa coming over on a ship smell like vanilla or guava? Okay, very like, specific. No How did you know my Russian grandfather came over on a ship? Well, right. Yeah, so they all did, right? So mine did too. So then you right. you don't know that and you don't care and you like how this vanilla guava scent comes out. And you're like, this is based on my grandfather's trip from the Ukraine to America in the 1930s. And it's like, okay, why does it have guava and right. vanilla in it? And it's because that perfumer was working with guava and vanilla and didn't, there's, there's just such a disconnect. 100%. And the language and thing. And so once we see more through and through realistic authenticity, um, you know, where the perfumer can talk about what they made, uh, I think you'll see it more. Like, like Frederick Mall, I think does a great mm -hmm. job with it where they let the perfumer is talking about this thing that they wanted to make. Um, you know, there are other brands that do it, of course, that like, you know, Chanel has their own perfumer. So, so I think that once you connect the perfumer to the product, it will happen. Yeah. In and of itself. I think, I think we're interested in things that are, um, like what we, one of the things that we like about perfume that is just that it's like really kind of like for its own sake, it just kind of doesn't have like a real purpose. It's really just fun. It's just not making really any claims like it's not really needed it's not really necessary um so you can kind of like find as much meaning in it as you want which is something that we saw as a little bit of a challenge when 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 you know online sales became such a thing it's like how do you how do you market perfume online like when you when you can't smell it and it kind of all looks right. the same because it's not like you're even showing like a, a crazy weird like new bottle for each scent and so at first it was a challenge and now it's just really something that um 
is just, you know, really wonderful to exploit because you can just sort of like make the whole world about around the, the perfume, which is something that we've done because there's not like you make up the visual, you make up the, you know, the soundtrack and you make up the film and like it provides a lot of richness in the mm-hmm. storytelling, which is something we like to do. And so I think like we're interested in generally like things where you can sort of like, it's not like it's like the whole, the main purpose of the product is not like making claims. So it's like you make up, you make up all the everything else that you want to talk about, mm-hmm. about it. Like you can talk about whatever you want about it because there's no real point to the product itself. And so I think we like those kind of things that are not for any real purpose, but just, just mm-hmm. fun. Joy. Joy. Well, your perfumes are joyful. With that, my final question before the last segment of our show, you were talking about how you're not, you know, you don't do what the marketplace is calling for doing necessarily. Not that you won't, but it's not what like gets you going. You know, I don't want you to like spoil anything, but is there anything in pop culture right now that you're really inspired by that you could take a page from for a fragrance? Um, I would say that my interests are so vast that like, whether it's popular or not, like things come and go. I, the zeitgeist of mm-hmm. things is really interesting to me. I feel it's important for me to like stay in touch with what's going on in all disciplines mm-hmm. and see how they connect there. I'm always seeing what's going on in music, whether it's, you know, we just, the, the band Idols we love, we just took our kids there last last mm-hmm. Saturday and they're not like huge, huge, but they're pretty big, you know? And just, I think I'm excited about new things in that way, but I'm also looking back at, great literature and poetry too it's, it's, it doesn't have to be like as time-based to me mm-hmm. i'm interested in this current fascination with the 90s like we're we're just like with david and i both grew up mm-hmm. in the 90s i guess we were like teenagers in the 90s and we're, we're um, children of the mm-hmm. 80s who, yeah. then, who then grew up in the 90s like it came right. of age in mm-hmm. the 90s so to see like young people now like full circle like wearing things that made us kind yeah. of cringe or, or made us cringe soon after the 90s and just seeing how the 90s is like completely back is is uh is strange right. yeah still tr- trying to understand it i'm trying to understand i'm trying to also figure out like what i liked about it and what i didn't like about it um, yeah because like i know i love like music of the mm-hmm. 40s 50s 60s 70s and 80s i i like some stuff in the 90s but it, in my heart of hearts it's not necessarily me and same goes for like aughts and question mark after that mm-hmm. you know like actually aughts had had an, a new thing to it because i moved to new york and everything but i feel much more influenced by the other ones uh and then of course classical music from centuries past that but because of it i've looked back at like what i think is rad about the 90s and i think it's influencing our next tent for mm-hmm. sure you know like the the set that we're working on is in that realm, mm-hmm. you know, and there is, I think, right when I moved to New York in 2002, a lot of people got obsessed with the 80s again and started yeah. wearing 80s clothes. And, but it was a little like tongue in cheek at the time. And I think it's the same kind mm-hmm. of thing. It's people who were born in like 92 and are like remembering the the magic. Because childhood is always magical. Right. It doesn't matter if you grew up wherever you grew up the memory of it is magical and so i think that when you come of age you start to get into that and that's why you're seeing it a lot of like young fashion designers who that was their like childhood you know like definitely like the color palette of super nintendo is fucking rad to me you know or like Seinfeld, like the bass solo you know there's there's things about it that that are awesome and of course like just real like 
early 90s hip-hop like anyone would say is the golden right. age you know so there's there's definitely good things there well i'm excited to see what the 90s smells like through the eyes of dia Sandurga. i'm very excited um i lied i have one more question before the final segment which is for someone who's just getting into fragrance or just getting into niche where would you recommend they start with the dia Sandurga line do you, well, we do customizable sample sets, so you can pick mm-hmm. four. And so I think that a good thing to do is like, you know, if you can go to the store, that's the best, right? Because they can right. walk you through everything and we have the whole thing and you can just smell mm-hmm. all the cups. We also have a, a set called the mm-hmm. Greatest Hits. Oh, yeah. So yeah, it's a start there, start right? Start with yeah. the Greatest yeah, Hits. Yeah, okay. yeah. And then if you want to go deeper, there's more Smash Hits. Love it. Yeah. Which is a second set of Greatest Hits. Um, yeah, but I would also say that I, the scent, I don't know what, it's is pretty amazing. amazing. Thanks. And it's uh, easy to love. It's great. You know, I also will just say Notorious Oud is my favorite Oud that exists. Like, I just think it's such wow. a great, I'm not going to name names of competitors, but I have, when I smelled it, I was like, this is what I wish this was able to deliver. Mm. And maybe you guys can fill in the blank there of what I'm going to say. I actually don't know because like everyone has a yeah. new perfume. Yeah. So, but you can tell me when yeah, we stop recording. I'll tell recording. you when we stop recording. I can think of a couple. I think it's it's definitely like a um, introductory mood, Intro, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. one thing that like, you know, and I'm writing this book that hopefully we'll be able to like just clear up certain things about like fragrance. It's very strange. Oud is this thing where people compare wearing raw mm-hmm. oud Okay, like pure raw oud that has no paperwork associated with its like safety or anything. Like it's just like it's whatever they made that year from that thing, you know, where it came from. It's like a whole genre of itself that I'm into. I wear these. I buy I buy stuff nineteen eighty-two from like Burma, like crazy mm-hmm. distillation, like four hundred and five hundred dollars for like 0.3 grams, you know, crazy stuff. It's like a drug deal. Um <laughs> right. But that's like raw right. oil. An oud perfume, the cool thing about what perfume is in its inception is you can take the idea of that, you could recreate it with materials that aren't that oud since you can't use that in a perfume because it has no paperwork and like it's, there's only a little bit of it and it's been deforested and like you just can't use that in a commercial perfume. Or you could be like, you know what, there's a thing in this that really reminds me of the uh, underside of a tree or like a rosy aspect i'm gonna build on those and make my whole thing that's based on that oud that's what perfume is but people get really uh like a bug like freaked out about how authentic like is is that use are you using real oud is that a real oud like that's fake it's synthetic like you're ripping people off and it's like when when we're talking about a jasmine perfume you can only use 0.6 percent of real jasmine in a perfume i'm not comparing jasmine perfume to like raw jasmine oil that no one wears right. on their skin anyway so I, about this one ingredient people are yeah. so obsessed with like wearing the real thing as opposed to like a perfume based on it it would be like like oh i, I love the rolling stones but i only listen to acoustic music so since they plugged in right. i can't listen to that anymore it's like I why totally why not agree. like it, it's just it's electrified and it's, it's still the same music. It just doesn't sound yeah. the same way. Well, while you guys are both here, I just feel like it's almost like the equivalent of like if you're at your favorite restaurant and like the executive chef comes out and you just have to say, I just also need to let you guys know how much I love cowboy grass. I know it's one of the OGs oh. and it just, it does something special for me. And it's not like, I don't think I typically gravitate towards sort of, sort of those like herbaceous type of scents. And I just think... Yeah, just thank you for your work. It's very strange. 
Thank love you it. so much. It's it's Cowboy Grass is a strange one. Like I think it's probably one of the most challenging perfumes we make. Yet people of all walks of life love it, and it's very yeah. strange. It's really special to us because when we started making it was when it was very early, and it's when we really thought we were going to be like really DIY, like doing mm-hmm. everything ourselves. Distilling so everything. We bought wow. a distiller. We were distilling like rose petal. David would make the base of cowboy grass used to be this tincture that was like made of like Persian, like dried Persian limes Mm -hmm. and rose petals and and like that and grapefruit. And that was just the base. And then he would like, oh my God. It was like fucking bananas. Yeah. And um, yeah, I still have like a vial of like the very original of it. Um, And it was just like, you know, when we thought we would do everything really, really differently before we realized that. Your house must have looked like a lab, like a mad scientist laboratory. Yeah. It was, it did. I'm actually getting that distiller back. I, I, I gave it to someone they, and they, they're moving and they like, don't need it anymore. I was like, I'll take this. Put it in the Diaz and Durga Museum oh. someday. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, or like, you know, I planted all this lavender. Like, maybe I'll just like cut that lavender and make like a, a really small batch of something with this lavender that we distill ourselves or something. Yeah. So, guys, the final section of this show is a rapid fire scent association game. And it's called What's That Smell? I'm going to name different things. You tell me whatever that smells like to you. There's no wrong answer. Are you ready to play What's That Smell? What's that smell? Okay. What mm. is the smell of New York City? New York City. First thought is too big to put into one smell. Should we break it down by um, borough? I mean, by neighborhood is so much. We came out with the, and this is not rapid fire, sorry, but we did the New York Tougher Than Ever candle and I had to like, I guess it's it's the scent of like a flowering tree growing out of concrete with like, uh, you know, exhaust, exhaust mm-hmm. in the background. Love it. I love it. Javi? Oh, uh, I would just say concrete. What is the smell of love? Rose. Or children. Um, okay. What is the smell? David, what is the smell of Kavi? Mm, so many of them. Definitely like, oh, hair, like your hair, the smell of your hair. Okay. Kavi, what's the smell of David? Um, how it's the smell of David. I mean, I don't know. It's like the way his sweaters smell, the way his clothes smell. Um, it's how do you describe the smell of another human? It's like he has his own smell. It's definitely like a mix of like yeah. being in our studio, which like is like a really really strong like mix itself of of a bunch of perfume, but then like mixed with his own skin. Um, you know, it smells like him. Yeah. I don't know how to describe it. I think sometimes when I when I come into a space that like our store and I haven't been there a long time or here it's like kind of like a dark powdery ionones mm. like kind of thing yeah because there are definitely some that like stick yeah. more than others yeah you know that are like in the you can't like shake them it's like our every studio that we move to kind of like mm-hmm. smells kind of the same because yeah. there are certain things that just kind of right. like don't right. leave That's the air interesting. okay the final question is what is the smell if you had to boil it down to one thing of Diaz and Durga it's that studio smell that like you would have to come to our studio, like where David is right now. And you see like all those bottles on the wall. It's like, mm-hmm. it's this mix that like is so, I mean, everyone who works with us like knows like it's this mix of like, and I wonder if every perfume lab smells like this. I don't know. I've never no, been to another about, one. Like W Doe smells a certain way too. Like it, it, mm-hmm. the, the things that are really strong, you know, like they get stuck in the air. So I think a lot of mm-hmm. places yeah. have that, you know? I would also maybe say cowboy grass is the smell of Diaz and Durga because it was Mm-mm. one of the first. Well, that's my answer. Okay. Because it was one of the first and it's very um, 
just specific and unique. It's a really unique it um, scent, I think. And I think you couldn't like confuse right. it with something else. I think there's nothing else that smells like it. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't try to like wrap us up in one scent. It seems like it's not possible. Yeah. I do. We're really basic and like basically we're just cowboy grass. <laughs> okay, you guys. Uh, I loved, loved talking to you guys so much and having you on the podcast. I'm sure everyone listening is already very familiar with Dia Sandurga. If they are not, where can people uh, sample and experience your fragrances for themselves? Marshalls in the in the discount. Okay, bin. yeah, cool. Uh, yeah. Right and, next to Curve. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah. We did a collab. We did a collab with Curve. Awesome. And stop and shop in Boston. Oh, very cool. Oh, in Boston. Okay, great. In Boston. Okay. And I'm trying to think of other random chains. The deli. The deli. Your neighborhood deli. Your neighborhood deli. Oh, you, can get a, mm-hmm. you can get an egg and cheese, salt and pepper, and uh, cowboy grass. Love it. But, um, no, we have a, we have two stores in the city. Mm-hmm. We have one's at two two fifty five Mulberry Street and one twenty six North Strict Street in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And online. Great. On our website. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Emma. It was so nice talking to you. Perfume Room is edited by Wyatt Peak. Music is by Max Vernon. And illustrations are by Israel Rodriguez. 